Before we talk about the music stuff, I just wanted to kind of get your impressions of the episode. What did you think of the episode overall? I mean, I like this episode. I think maybe because personally it, it hits home a little bit more than some of the other ones just because of the music. And, you know, David Chase is such a music head. You know, he, he even gives us like an insight to the studio process, which I found fun and amazing. But, you know, it, a hit is a hit to me is such a funny title because it means like a song hit. It also means like a hit in the mob. And I don't know. I, it, I liked it more than I think people people do. You know, I know people have a problem with this one a little. think it's like irrelevant. But I don't know. I think there's actually a lot more connections going on than people think, especially with Tony and the Cusimano crew and stuff like that. So I liked it. I used your line when the guys were together and I said it was another palate cleanse episode. <laughs> yes, um, for sure. Because the last episode that we watched before this one, basically we have the stage set for Junior to like endorse a hit on Tony. So right. we go completely away from that. And this episode, essentially Junior and Livia and Mikey Palmisi, they essentially stayed in Boca for a week because they weren't even in this yeah. episode. So the totally. one the one critique, the common refrain from everybody who loves the show was that this episode didn't really like extend the plot much. But I think after talking to the guys and after hearing you and after like just reflecting on it these types of episodes are necessary you know it's um for sure it's it, everyday life too you know the it's, regularness of life exactly life. yeah totally and, we need these to kind of remember and it expands the Sopranos universe, too, because they were involved in the music business. And so this gives you that insight into that. Another thing I told the guys, and maybe you'll agree with this, too, is it's the first episode, really, where it starts to... One of my arguments for loving the show so much is that it makes me smarter when I watch it. It teaches me... It teaches, <laughs> totally. me, it teaches me about things, or it opens doors to, like, different worlds that I would never really have a reason to know about or care about, but then makes it interesting so that I want to go back and look into it. And it, this episode did that for the music business. Definitely. They do it in a way where you don't feel like you're learning a lot, but you're actually get, given a huge history lesson of the music industry in some small little way with Chrissy and Adriana and Massive G. Let's talk about the music business. So this episode is big yes. on music. I guess it's more so music than anything else. We're introduced to Massive Genius. This character that we, and one of my critiques on it is that he doesn't really get fully fleshed out. I feel like there's a lot left, mm -hmm. but it's a great occasion to talk about the music business in general, specifically the royal system in music. Mm -hmm. um, and I just wanted to get your thoughts on the royalty system in general. To me personally, it makes no sense and it's changing every day. So, you know, it's, it's broken down in so many different ways where, you know, it goes between artist royalty and publisher and it just become, it's like a very inter interwebbed kind of thing of how artists make money. And when you really break it down, it's, it's, it's complicated, you know, and, and for some reason, this episode is very truthful in how it is complicated and it does get personal. And, you know, you do need people to put you on like Hesh, but you also have to hope those people are being fair and collecting your money and giving you fair cuts. And sometimes they're not, you know, and these platforms and all these different ways you can make money independently now is great, but it's still, it's still hard. It's still hard to keep track of them all and what makes what. So it's something that I have to deal with and I still don't understand it completely. So <laughs> I don't think anybody does. There's a lot of books. I read the book, the Donald Passman book, you know, the music business, the definitive book on it. At the beginning of the book, he says nobody knows anything. And at the end of the book, yeah. he reminds you that we've just gone through 400 pages of this business, but really, truly nobody knows anything. Is that still the case? Yeah, God. I think so. I really do. I mean, I think some people have figured out 
where it works the best, you know, if it's like Spotify or Apple or whatever. But at the end of the day, it's still, they're still trying to find ways to make money faster because since, since the internet. So if, you know, for example, Spotify, Spotify only really benefits if you're already a huge artist that's streaming. So a newer artist, it's great if they give you kind of a little bit of exposure, but if you're not streaming as much, you're not going to be making anything. And Apple and Spotify have things that are, you know, you can't do this with Apple and then you don't get this on Spotify. So it's really tricky to navigate, you know, where you should be focusing, where to get streams or where to get exposure. And it's it's really like the wild, wild west, which in some cases makes sense that the mob was connected to it and still might be. Who knows? Do you think the Heshes of the world back in that era, they're as important as they were then? Are Heshes necessary today? I do. I do. I think that they are. What does the Hesh of 2018 do for an artist? I mean, they they do what Hesh did. I mean, he finds the talent and puts them on, you know. Cafe Wall was actually a real club in New York City. It was on McDougal Street in, the Greenwich, in Greenwich Village, and um, it originally opened in 1959. It was kind of like a secret hotspot that was known for, you know, some of the biggest artists coming through back before they were big, like Bob Dylan, Jimi Hendrix, which is what Hesh said, yeah. Bruce Springsteen, Velvet Underground, Woody, you know, everyone kind of went through there. So it is kind of like a rite of passage and people like Hesh, they kind of see the talent and have to figure out how to make this work. You know, it's not all artists know how to brand themselves or guide their own career. They don't know how to be business people, in other words. Yeah, and in some regards, we see Adriana think she knows how to do that, and, you know, she's getting ready for the VMAs before they've even recorded their album. It's a lot more work than people think it is. They just want the the parties and the mansions and the hit songs. We talked about Spotify. Do you think, like, in general, as an artist, and you're you're an independent artist, right? That's I am, I am. Do you think Spotify's been good, bad, or neutral for independent artists? I think it's been good for artists. I think it, you have to be the right artist, and... If Spotify isn't good to you, then Spotify is not good for you. You know, it's it's kind of like the in crowd in some regards. And now because anyone could make music, which is amazing, it's it makes such a more saturated, everything's so oversaturated. There's too many artists. So it's, it's sometimes hard to get attention in these worlds and on these platforms, which is why, you know, unfortunately, I hate to say it, people like Hesh or, you know, managers or, you know, connections, stuff like that does help and goes a long way, you know, and the other route is just making great content and sticking through, you know, yeah. consistency and quality will always win, in my opinion, personally. So what are the cafe was of today? Oof, the cafe was of today. New York and LA. Just, let's just pick those two spots. Where do artists break I don't even know if artists break in clubs anymore, personally. I think it's people break online. You know, I don't I don't know where you go see new acts. I mean, Hotel Cafe in L.A., I know still people do, but I'm not sure if that's where you go and see a legend that's going to become something. Maybe. I'm not sure. That's I, a good when, question. When I was in New York, I used to go to the Mercury Lounge a lot. Yeah, the Mercury Lounge is a good one, I would say. They're not like they're not, you're not big, but you're also you you kind of have like a little bit of a following, but yeah. um I would always follow the bands that went there or the acts that played there and see whether they like petered out or whether they catapulted. Um, I know. And then as a fan, I never played the Mercury Lounge. That's so funny. As a fan in LA, I feel like and tell me if you disagree, but I feel like the Echo and the Echoplex mm-hmm. is kind of a place where that's your rite of passage. Is that a fair statement? I think so. I think the Echoplex would be a good one. 
definitely. Or even, you know, the, where's the one, Santa Ana, like conservatory place. Oh, yeah, they yeah, kind yeah. of always push you there first to see yeah. how you do in a small room and then bring you back to L.A. <laughs> I know my first show in L.A. was out there just to see how my band did and everyone. And they're like, okay, we can we can start doing this. We can gradu- graduate we can you to the city up. limits. Yeah. It's crazy. The, there's so many venues and like you'll see some act at like some small place and then you'll try to see them a year or two later. The ones that take off and it's like, wow, you can't even yeah. get tickets. They're headlining at the Hollywood Forever or whatever. And it, I know. I'm, I'm always interested in like, where does it start? Because once you're kind of in the vortex, the vortex just does whatever it's going to do. But these humble beginnings are always the best stories in my opinion. I agree. I agree. And now the stories are all so different, you know, and that's what's pretty amazing if you look at the climate of music now and artists but it's also really frustrating because you know as an artist there is no right way to do it and there's no way to climb the ladder faster for you you know just because someone else's path has moved you know at the speed of light in some way it doesn't mean if you did what they did it will work for you so you kind of just have to beat to your own drum and just continue pushing forward and making the best content you can so I want to ask you about song structure. Um, it was a, one of the of it was Hesh's biggest kind of gripe. You know, a hit is a hit. Obviously, yeah. um, he got offended because it was assumed that because he was of a certain age, he wouldn't understand music. And, you right. know, there's this argument about good versus bad and the right. subjectivity of that, but also the objectivity mm-hmm. of that. And the recording engineer who's running Adriana's session yells at the band visiting day, you know, where are the choruses? Your songs have no choruses. Right. Can you talk about song structure and what in your mind makes a hit a hit of course i mean song structure is kind of you know when you're say you're writing a speech you kind of figure out the arc or like the hypothesis and you want to solve it so if we're talking about song structure there's usually some set of of um like a formula so it's usually like a intro then a verse then a pre-chorus which is kind of building up to a chorus and the chorus is the thing that repeats in the song the most it's the only part of the song that doesn't change and you go back to it and you know that's why you know like a catchy chorus meaning like something people can sing along to is what everybody wants to achieve when writing you know big pop songs or trying to write a hit you know like well let's and some people actually write the chorus first for songs i've been in actual recording sessions where they'll just focus on the chorus and it's really hard for me to do that because I don't even know what the song's about. And they're just worried about, let's get a really catchy chorus and then we'll work backwards. So, you know, the emphasis on the chorus has become such a thing in pop music. But um, what's interesting now, especially with this kind of popularity in rap, kind of because like all music now is urban music or pop music. And rappers don't really focus on structure the same way as singer songwriters or different artists and it's more linear like James Blake is also a great artist who mm-hmm. has more of a more of a linear form where it doesn't necessarily have a verse chorus verse chorus bridge it's kind of just kind of goes and then he repeats sections which is in some way sneaky and smart because repeating things it ends up being catchier in our ears. So you can play with structure, but usually there's a very like A, B, A, B, C, A, B kind of structure when it comes to songwriting. And people have broken it down in like a science. There's articles all about, you know, what makes a hit song, you know, hit. And to me, it's just, you know, I think it has to be timeless. The melody has to be good and it, it has to be something that just resonates, you know, and there's so many hit songs that are so different that to me, there's really no right answer for that. You know, you know it when you hear it, just like Hesh said. Like, I can't tell you why it is what it is. It's just, this isn't it. 
How do you build a song? What's your process? I build a song usually with music first or so a melody. I mean, honest, sometimes, I mean, sometimes it's, I have lyrics or sometimes I'll have just a piano melody. So it's usually whatever is the, like the kernel of something. So if I have like an idea about a song, I want to write about a subject that will kind of spark what kind of mood I feel like the piano chords should be. Or sometimes I'll have some piano chords that I think are very cool. And then I'll be like, this song sounds like it should be about me being sad or something. So it really depends. The origin of how it starts can be whatever. It could even be just like a drum loop. And then we start messing around with some chords on top of it. So usually, though, piano, piano first. I'll just sit at the piano and mess around with the music and then start singing the melody. Do you have a chord in mind or a chord progression in mind? Or are you just kind of following the... Sometimes I do. Sometimes I actually turn the lights off and just fiddle around on the piano and see what sounds good. Because sometimes if you see what you're doing, you know what you're going to do next. And you kind of, you know, you have to experiment and figure out other ways to come up with interesting progressions that haven't been done before or just new voicings, which is how to play the same chord, just a different way, the same notes. But maybe you put the low note higher for some reason, just makes a different tension or something what stage do you have to be at before you start to get your band involved in the like let's try this out do the lyrics have to be complete no no i'm i mean you know i've shot music videos for songs that weren't even fully written yet and people you know i think because the thing is things can always be reproduced you know you can write a song i could write a song just piano and voice and send it to five different producers and they'll produce it you know in a reggae way or in a hip-hop way or Ah. in a singer songwriter way so i think it's you know and to me that's what the core of songwriting you know i'm you know at the heart of it a singer songwriter i come from jazz music but piano and voice is kind of where i start and if you can't play the song on the piano and sing it and have people feel something then i don't think it's a good song so you can make a crazy beat and produce it 10 million ways but if you strip everything back and all the cool sounds and it doesn't still hold up, then to me, it's not a good song. You know, you can always reproduce it and update it and make it cooler, but you can't change the melody and lyrics, you know, and and those are really what I think make a song. And that parallels and goes back to the whole, you know, how do you make money and royalties in the music industry? It's all about melody and the chords. That's what you end up fighting over, the publishers of who owns what part of the song. Yeah, like Hesh was going to counter Sue because Massive G G used the sample. So that was kind of a nice way, right? Like how we were expecting like brutal violence to take place because there was two different types of gangs, you know, gangsta versus gangster. And if you are watching it for the first time, you see the beginning scene where Tony's crew takes out the Colombians. So you're full on expecting like stuff to go down but in the end, it's a bunch of lawyers that essentially put them at an impasse, which I thought was was kind of like David Chase kind of just having the last laugh. Yeah. I also think it was nice because, you know, Massive G, even though he's in a silly suit and a big time rapper, I mean, he worked really hard to get where he is probably. He makes a lot of money. He was very civil when he was talking to Hesh. You know, he has lawyers involved. And Hesh did the same thing. You know, he, he, I don't know, it wasn't as ugly as I thought they were going to 
make it. And I thought that was kind of admirable. And I know that like Hesh is a good guy in the music industry and so is Massive G. They, this is just business. Business you know? is business. It, it, yeah. Yeah. You know, that's how it is. There's a great moment when Hesh was kind of sitting in his room and you're here. He's kind of like staring at the wall, looking at all the different things. He didn't say any words, but I felt like he was contemplating, you know, there was his humanity was on display. Like he was actually thinking 100%. about, he was actually thinking about like, how do I make this right? Uh, do I stand ground? Uh, um, Massive G has a point. Uh, it was a nice moment yeah. for Hesh, and um, me and the guys, me and the guys were saying how like we should all be so lucky if we have a Hesh in our life, whether it be the music business or the whatever things that we get involved with. It's nice to have a Hesh in your corner. For sure, and he's honest. You know, he told Chrissy straight out, "This is not good." You yeah. know, and sometimes you need that. You know, as much hard as it is to hear, it's not a hit, man. <laughs> awesome. This was great. Yeah. Um, yeah. That's all I got. I appreciate you doing this from Italy. This is like super cool. Oh, you're actually, you're, the listeners are going to be hearing you from the motherland, which I is know. special, from the boot. So what, I where, feel like I'm in commendatory. I feel like I'm in the episode. I know. Where, so where in Italy are you? So if anybody wants I'm to like map you. I'm actually in Abruzzi, which is a little town. It's Abruzzi region, the Abruzzo region, which is in the middle, kind of all the way to uh where is it the adriatic sea and my mom was born in a little town called busi which is not very interesting and everybody looks the same and everybody knows everybody so <laughs> it's it, it's beautiful it's kind of you know near pescara so it's a lot of fish and trout and boring loud stories about a lot of remember when a lot of remember when yeah Lots the lowest <laughs> the lowest form of conversation yeah. yes um,